great. So uh, some of us, we're not supposed to talk about this, but some of us are in a thing doing, uh, doing a thing called Fight Club. And so we had an event Friday night, and uh, I'm not going to be moving too far away from the table this morning because uh, I'm sore and did something to my calf muscle. Um, and so I'm just old. I, I thought I was 19 and uh, found out that I'm not. So that was a good time, though. We had a good time. And uh, yeah, you just can't miss around here on Sundays. So last Sunday, um, awesome time seeing a total of 58 people uh, through our three campuses. We had 11 here at our church um, that follow the Lord in, in believers' baptism. And as Jeff said, that again, baptism doesn't save us. It's just a step that we take once we've placed our faith in Christ to kind of do our first public profession of that with the idea that we continue to share with others who Jesus Christ is and what he, he's done for them. And um, then in the services, uh, we had 11 other people indicate salvation. Um, and so that was awesome to see. And then last time we had our largest non-holiday attended uh, Sunday. So it was, uh, this room was packed. Uh, the nine o'clock service kind of looked like this. Um, and so it was really cool, uh, good to be a part of it. And I hope, uh, I hope you're excited to, you know, to be a part of that and seeing what God's doing. You know, it's not, uh, it's not every church uh, that gets to see what we're seeing and God working in people's lives and bringing people to himself for salvation. And then Bob said we have Easter next week, so uh, Saturday, uh, 3 and uh, 4.30. And then um, Sunday, of course, 9 and 10.30. So we just want to encourage you to uh, be a part of that. Come to one of those services with the friends and family that you're inviting. And then if you would, uh, come to another service to serve, because um, we're trying to do our best to serve all that come into our building uh, next weekend. Um, and then just, you know, since I'm on this role of doing announcements, uh, <laughs> we've got our Connect class coming up on the 24th of this month, uh, so a couple Sundays from now. So if you're a first-time attender or recent attender, or you've been attending for a while, just never taken a class, um, come be a part of that. We had 11 people signed up for that, so it's kind of funny, 11 baptized, 11 people came to Christ, and 11. But then during the service, somebody signed up, so now we have 13 um, he signed him and his wife up. So now we have 13 going to be a part of that. Um, and so that's always a good time. You can sign up right now on your Truth Center app or ohiograce.com events, Northwood drop-down connect class. Um, you get, if nothing else, you get a free lunch. You know, so can't beat that. Anyways, um, look forward to that. So go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 20. We're going to start in verse 9. It's, it's page 1049 if you're using the Bible there in the chair around you. And we've been traveling with Jesus on his road to the cross. So we had Jesus, his disciples, this crowd that constantly is following after Jesus. He's always got people around him. And we've been listening to some of the things that he's been saying, not everything that he's been saying, but uh, some of the things that he's been teaching along the way. We know that the uh, disciples had confessed him uh, to be God. They say, yes, we believe that you are God. We believe that you are a deliverer, not just um, for Israel, uh, but also for all mankind and for them specifically. Uh, based on that, then he begins to reveal to them that he's going to be arrested, he's going to be tortured, uh, put on a cross, he's going to rise from the dead. And again, the disciples don't seem to catch that one. They're always hearing about the, the death part. But that all this is part of God's plan. This is something that God, from the beginning of time, has planned to have happen, that 
He would provide a way for man to have forgiveness of his sins, for, for man to, to be saved from hell, to have a restored relationship with God and the certainty of going to heaven one day. And the disciples, of course, as we know, as we've gone through this, if you've been following us uh, on the podcast or Facebook, that they've been struggling with this whole concept. Uh, they don't like the idea that Jesus is saying he's going to, to die well, as Jesus approaches Jerusalem, it's Palm Sunday today, right? And so we're with Jesus. He approaches Jerusalem. Just kind of give you a little bit of context here before we get into the passage that we're going to talk about. Uh, they say there's estimated 2 million people that are in Jerusalem this week for the, the Passover celebration. And, and so we get this picture of Jesus approaching. He hasn't quite got there yet. And so he's approaching Jerusalem. The crowd is with him. But there's also this crowd that's coming out of Jerusalem, hearing that Jesus is on his way, and they begin, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory on the highest. These people are excited. They believe that Jesus Christ is coming to Jerusalem to set up God's kingdom, that he's going to, to take out and defeat the Romans, that he was going to set up God's kingdom. They're going to go back to the days of, of King David, the glory days of Israel, and they're excited. The Pharisees, they're fearing Roman retribution, and they're also hating Jesus because he continues to claim to be God, and he's really kind of taking the, um, uh, the focus off of them and putting it on himself, and they're not uh, very happy about this, and they're trying to tell him, demanding him to, hey, tell these people to stop cheering you on and encouraging you. It tells us that Luke... Or Luke tells us that Jesus then looks at the city and he begins to weep. He's weeping because he realizes all these people who are cheering for him, the vast majority of them are going to reject him in just a few days. When he's arrested and he's put up on the cross, they're going to, they're going to bail on him. He also knows that in just a few short years, Rome is going to come in and they're going to, he's going to, they're going to decimate Israel. They're going to um, completely destroy the temple. And again, those who are praising him now are going to be running from him, turning on him. See, the problem is Jesus, Jesus didn't meet their expectation of what a Savior would be. They're, they're looking at somebody that would help them gain the, the power and prestige of Israel's former kingdom. And they saw Jesus as that one, but he's, he's not going to do that. They're realizing he's not going to do that. But the sad thing is, is they're not catching the fact that he's going to do something even greater than that. He's going to bring God's kingdom into the hearts of people. He's going to change people's lives for an eternity. We're told that the first couple of days, as Jesus is in the city now, he's been teaching the people in the temple and he's sharing the gospel this causes the religious leaders to start working together and meeting together. How can we get Jesus to, to mess up what he's saying? How can we get him to take the wrong step in what he's teaching so we can then arrest him and have him put to death? And on one of these days, he goes head to head with the religious leaders. He's talking to the crowd, but the religious leaders who are around him, who he just kind of decimated in an earlier debate, he starts telling the crowd about who these religious leaders are, about their selfishness, about their 
uh, controlling uh, desires, that they have a plan to kill him. And the, the people are wondering what's going on, and the uh, religious leaders, of course, are probably sitting here going, what, what is he saying? How does he know what we're planning to do? So it's that parable we want to read today. But before we do that, I'd like to always kind of give you the lay of the land. What, what, who are the people in this parable? Again, a parable is a story that Jesus tells, and it's a story that gives us um, a specific um, spiritual truth. It's not a bunch of different spiritual truths. Not all the details necessarily matter, but some do, some key ones. This one has more key elements to it than maybe other ones, other ones do. So I want to go through this really quick. So as we read this, this is the parable of the vine growers that are tenant farmers. So these are guys uh, who are hired, not for a whole lot of money, but they're, they're hired to, to manage the vineyard um, that a wealthy landowner would have. And so he has a bunch of different vineyards and he hires a bunch of different people to manage. It's, it's the vine grower's property, but they're going to be managing it. So the vineyard owner is God. The vineyard is um, specifically Israel in this passage, but then it expands out. And as we look at it as to why it matters, it's really the world. God didn't just create Israel. He created the world. So the world is his vineyard, if you want to call it that. The vine growers, those are Israel's religious leaders uh, who were um, given to Israel in order to lead them to God. The slaves are Old Testament prophets who were persecuted by Israel's leaders. The son, of course, is Jesus Christ. The others that he talks about, uh, that's initially the disciples, the apostles, but then um, through their ministry, people have come to Christ, and then those people who are then disciples of Christ are the ones, are the others. And then so today, we who are Christians are the others. And then he switches up his parable, talks about the cornerstone. Of course, the cornerstone is Jesus Christ, upon whom the church is built, but also, which we'll talk about, our lives are to be built on as well. All right, everyone clear as mud? Got that? You're excited? You want to read this? You want to find out what's going on? Yes? Okay, nice. All right, you guys are up. I, I'm still trying to recover from Friday night. I'm just telling you, I'm just, I feel like I'm just oh, dragging. Um, in the first service, I was you know, talking over myself and mixing up words and everything, so I'll try not to do that to, uh, for you guys. But anyways, so talking about Jesus, he began to tell the people this parable. Now again, this is in front of the religious leaders. So you can kind of picture in your mind, Jesus talking, he's in the temple, a bunch of people are around, and then the religious leaders who are always around. You know, it's kind of like that little gnat that's always in front of your face, right? So a man planted a vineyard and rented it out to the vine growers, or these tenant farmers, and went on a journey for a long time. At the harvest time, he sent a, uh, sent a slave to the vine growers, so that he would give him some of the produce of the vineyard, which is what would, they would do as part of the whole contract, about how this whole system worked. But the vine growers <laughs> beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he proceeded to send another slave. And they beat him also and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he proceeded to send a third. And this one also they wounded and cast out. That means a forcibly throw them out. The owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? What would you do in that situation? I mean, seriously, what would you do? So you've, you've just hired some people to take care, manage your property, and then you send somebody else to go check things out, and they kill that person. Well, this is what the owner decides to do. I will send my beloved son. 
Perhaps they will respect him. Next one. But when the vine growers saw him, they reasoned with one another, saying, this is the heir. So they, they recognize as he's walking up, they're recognizing this is the king or the, the owner's son. So that's a key element here moving forward. Let us kill him so that the inheritance will be ours. Again, you know, I don't know if they thought, well, if the, the, the owner's been gone for so long, maybe he's dead, we kill his uh, son, then we can get the inheritance for ourselves because there's a law in, in Israel at the time that they could do that. I don't know, but it seems kind of strange. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? I don't know what I would do to them, but he will come and destroy these vine growers and will give the vineyard to others. And when they, now we don't know who they are, but it's either the uh, the crowd or it's the Pharisees. When they heard it, they said, may it never be. Now I, I think it's the Pharisees because they're kind of like, no, 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 that's not going to happen. None of that's going to happen. You know, people who are guilty. Yeah, no, I, I didn't do it. But Jesus looked at them, which means he looked intensely at the religious leaders and said, what then is this that is written? Now, when the, when the people were cheering and chanting, and blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, that's out of Psalm 118, earlier in, in the psalm. Then Jesus take, goes further into the psalm and says this, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone or rejects Jesus Christ will be broken to pieces, but on whoever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. And the scribes and the chief priests tried to lay hands on him that very hour, and they feared the people, for they understood that he spoke this parable against them. They knew exactly what he was doing and what, what he was saying. So they watched him, and they sent spies who pretended to be righteous in order that they may catch him in some statement, which is kind of funny. It's Jesus. He's God. You know. Anyways, so they could deliver him to the rule and the authority of the governor. In other words... They're going to try to get the Roman governor to kill him, which, by the way, just confirms what Jesus' prediction was in his parable. So, what is it that Jesus is saying here? Now we're going to look at why it matters. But he's, he's using Israel's religious leaders as his example, and he's saying that those who reject Jesus will be judged. Now, again, he's, he's using Israel, because he's speaking to Israel at this point, but then this also has um, an impact on us today, knowing that Israel was created by God. So Israel was God's vineyard, and he created Israel for, for his purposes. Isaiah 5, 7, and, um, and Psalms, and, and some other of the prophets, they talk about Israel being this vineyard of God, that God created Israel, put Israel together. And Israel's purpose was to reveal to the world who God was and, and the relationship that he offered them. Israel's religious practices, those were put into, um, into the law, into Leviticus and Deuteronomy, and it gave them the understanding of how they were to worship God and how they were to honor God and how they, they could be right with God. The religious leaders, their purpose was to build God's kingdom, to bring fruit in his vineyard by teaching Israel about who God was and the relationship that he wanted with them and how to have that relationship. 
But the problem was that once that was established and men took control of this religion, that over time they began to understand that they could control people with that. They could put in laws over and above what God had given them. And so these religious leaders, they wanted control. And Jesus is showing that. He's bringing that out in this parable. And in this parable is actually showing it out to be true as they respond to him. Now, it seems kind of shocking, right? Don't they know that God is the one who formed Israel? Don't they know their own history? Don't they know what their job is? How in the world could they get things spun around so that now they're the ones thinking that Israel is theirs and that they can somehow control people? But that's what happens. And throughout the Old Testament, we see Israel moving further and further away from God and God sending them prophet after prophet after prophet. And what they would do to those prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, all the way through to to Malachi. I I did the whole Italian prophet whose name is Malachi, but no one got it at the 9 o'clock, so I'm not going to use it in this service. But to Malachi, and he sends them over and over and over and over again, and they continued to reject what he was saying. He was trying to get them back to to being the nation that he wanted them to be, to, to doing life the way he said to do life, to be in relationship with him. But they continued to reject. It was almost a thousand years. Think about that. A thousand years. God sent prophet after prophet after prophet to try to get Israel to get back to what God had called them to be. People talk about the God of the Old Testament as a God of anger and wrath and judgment and killing. No, The God of the Old Testament is the same as God as the New Testament, the same as God today. God is gracious. He's merciful. He's incredibly patient. And so what seems crazy to us in the the parable, it's a crazy part of the, you know, people are hearing this story and they're going, after the first slave, we would have gone and killed those guys. What do you mean? You're sending three slaves and now you're going to send your son? But that's exactly what God does. God takes it a step further and he sends God the Son, Jesus Christ. In other words, Jesus is saying, this parable that I'm talking about, this is happening right in front of your face. This is real-time storytelling happening right here, right now. He's standing before them. The Son of the vineyard owner. Jesus Christ, God the Son. And he's saying, listen, religious leaders, I know what you're thinking. I know that you know who I am. And I know what your plan is. And I've come into Jerusalem to allow it to be fulfilled. And they're going to make sure that they take the owner's son and throw him outside the vineyard and have him killed. This seems absurd. Like I said, the, the people hearing this parable are thinking to themselves, this is not how the system works. Everybody understands that a, a wealthy landowner who hires some tenant farmers, he's supposed to get them to work for him. They don't have any ownership of the vineyard. Nothing is theirs. It's all the vineyard owner's And what are they doing killing his slaves? What are they doing then killing his son? It just seems absurd. 
And because of their absurd arrogance, Jesus is saying, religious leaders, and really anybody, those who reject Jesus Christ will be judged. He's going to judge them or destroy them. It means to ruin them. He's going to give the vineyard or that mission of explaining who God is to people and drawing people to God for a relationship. He's going to give that mission to others. We know now that that was the disciples who became the apostles. And then it was on to Timothy and Titus. And then it was on, after all, the, after all these centuries, to us today. It's our responsibility. Those of us who place our faith in Christ, in this vineyard that He has given us in this world, our little vineyard of our life to represent Christ, to draw people to Christ. But specifically for the religious leaders and for Israel, he goes on to say, I will break in pieces and crush to dust those who reject him. Again, using Psalm 118. It has two kind of meanings to it here. One is a physical meaning and one's a spiritual meaning. The physical is this, and I mentioned it earlier. Jesus is saying, is predicting what's going to eventually happen. So in 70 AD, Rome came in and they wiped out Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple. Jesus had already said the temple is going to be destroyed. There won't be a stone left on top of another stone even. And that's what Rome did in 70 AD. So not quite 40, 30, 40 years, whatever, after Jesus' time, that's exactly what took place. And Jesus is saying, listen, religious leaders, you're rejecting me. And so in that rejection, what's going to happen is this whole form of worship is going to be gone. There will not be any more priests for Israel. There will not be any more sacrifices for Israel. Now, the other side of that is it doesn't need to be, right? Because Jesus Christ is the sacrifice. We become the temple. And so Jesus Christ is saying, yeah, there's not going to be any of that. It's going to be it's a rejection of you, by the way, for rejecting me, but there's not going to be any need for it. And then there's a spiritual meeting. This is the incredibly sad side of it. What he's saying here is that those, because they've rejected him, he's going to crush them. And he's, what he's talking about there is they've rejected him. They've not placed their faith in Christ. And they're going to spend eternity in hell for the rejection of Jesus. So, why does this teaching matter to you and me today? How do we take this, what he said to the religious leaders, and impact us today? Well, this is how it plays out. This world, and we who are in it, this world is his vineyard. Yeah, he created Israel, and and in that sense, they are a vineyard. But way before them, God created the world. He didn't have to create the world. He was perfect and complete in himself. It wasn't that he was missing something or he needed you or me to tell him certain things so that he feels better about himself. No, he, he created because he wanted to just share himself with us. He wanted us to be in a relationship with him so we can find out about his incredible God who created this world. We're, this world is a vineyard and each one of us have been given a little bit of that vineyard, if you want to call it that. It's like Adam being put in the garden. He was given the garden to manage for God's sake. And so this world is God's vineyard. He created it, 
And here's the key thing. He not only created it, but He created us and our purpose. He created us for His purpose. Like Israel was created by God in order to um, reveal to people who God is, how God operates, and how to have a relationship with God. Now we, who are His followers, the other others that he was going to give it to. That's what our purpose was. It was originally that way with Adam and Eve when they were perfect, but then they sinned. But we still have been created by God. And we've still been created in order to have a relationship with him. Many don't, but it's still that's the purpose of it. And then that, that then is supposed to be us, once we're in that relationship, showing him to others. See, our lives are ultimately God's. We think our lives are ours. We think what we have is ours. We think that he's given it to us to use as we want, but no, he's given it to us to use for his purposes because that's why we were initially created. We live at the pleasure of God. We have a tendency of sometimes to watch uh, Blue Bloods and, he, and, I, and Tom Selleck always says to the mayor, well, I serve at your pleasure. You know? Well, we serve, we live at the pleasure of God. God knows and planned when we would be conceived. God knows and plans what our life is going to be like. God knows and plans when we're going to die. We had a big discussion last couple of weeks. I've had a couple of discussions on God's sovereignty and our free will. I'm not going to get into it other than to say the Bible teaches both. There's God's sovereignty that means he controls all things, but there's also man's free will. It's a concept to blow your mind. But ultimately, God is in control. And God knows everything about our lives, and we don't know the next thing that's going to happen. We don't control anything. And all those who have not placed their faith in Christ live like the religious leaders. They live as if their life is theirs. Like they have some sort of control over it. And sadly, so do a lot of Christians. They, Christians are those who have supposedly placed their faith in Christ. They've given their life to Christ, is another way the Bible puts it. And yet they continue to live life as if it's theirs. Deciding for themselves what they should do with what it is that God has given them looking at their circumstances and situations and thinking they know better than what God says on how they should operate in that situation. Whether it's God's Word or somebody else who's teaching God's Word, like the religious leaders, they, they reject it. And if you're a Christian here this morning, like I said, we're the others. We're the ones that God has handed off this mission to. We are responsible as the present-day disciples. Disciple just means a follower of Christ. And so those of us who are followers of Christ, we've been given that responsibility. To, he said, I'm going to build my church. Remember that week one we talked about? It? He said, I'm going to build my church. The gates of hell won't be able to stand against it. But then those of us who have become followers of Christ, those of us who become part of His church, He uses us in order to draw others to Him. It's what He's commanded and. Matthew 28 and Acts chapter 1. And the third reason why it matters is just what I've been saying. Rejecting, or rejecting judgment. I'm going to talk to Christians first on this. 
And then I want to talk to those who would say they're not followers of Christ. The awesome thing for us who are Christians is that we've placed our faith in Christ. What that means is that Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross, took God's judgment for us. We have been freed from the judgment of God. Why? Because God's awesome. Not because you and I are anything special. We're sinners. But he died on the cross for us so that we wouldn't have to have that judgment of an eternity in hell. I think what happens sometimes with Christians, because I, I keep trying to you know, wrestle with this as I talk with different Christians, um, and we have these discussions, because uh, none of us are perfect, obviously. We're, we just happen to be forgiven. But I think some Christians think, well, once I place my faith in Christ, then he purifies my thinking. Like he purifies the way I think about life. Or he, um, gives, he signs off on me being able to do life the way I want to do it. No, um, because when we do life the way we think we should do life, that's sin. That's what sin is. Sin is thinking the way we think and doing life the way we do life and thinking that's right. No, that's what gets us in the mess that we're in. It's disobeying God, which is sin. Jesus took our judgment on himself. He places, once we ask for forgiveness, he places God the Holy Spirit in our lives. And now we are adopted into God's family. We become a child of God. The idea there is just like I wanted my kids to obey me and do life the way I'm telling them to do because I think it's the best way. Not perfect, but the best way. We now see God as our Father, and so we do life His way because He knows what is the best way. And then when we reject Jesus as Christians, when we don't do it His way, He disciplines us. So it's not judgment, it's discipline. Hebrews talks about it this way in chapter 12. It says, My son and daughter, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord, look at this, for those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And he scourges, and that word has this idea that there could be a potential uh, more severe discipline that comes along. Every son and daughter whom he receives. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful, which we would agree. Yet, those who have been trained by it, look at this, those who have been trained by it afterwards, think of the vineyard, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. What's God, what God's trying to do in the lives of those who have placed their faith in Christ, who have given their life to Him, He's trying to bring, a par, uh, bring about fruit. That fruit is to become more like Jesus Christ, the fruit of the Spirit the Bible talks about. Not to be a better version of Harold. Or a better version of you. No, to be a version to look like Jesus Christ. And so he's trying to bring about this fruit in this vineyard. It's righteousness. is doing life Jesus' way. It's the harvest that he wants to bring about in our lives. So he's trying to bring that fruit, which is change. It's different. It's not how we used to do life. It's going to be a different way. And I get it. What God calls us to do Man, I tell you, there are times where I need to make a decision or I need to respond to somebody or I've already responded to somebody, so now I need to you know, fix that. And God tells me to do this, 
But I'm thinking, no, I think this is even better. And I could give him 10 reasons why this is better. One, because, well, I thought of it. So, that's, you know, it's part of it. No, he says, do it my way. I don't, yeah, you're going to look weird. You're going to look different to people. People may even make fun of you. People may even reject you. They put Jesus on the cross. But we do it God's way because he wants to develop in us fruit. It's fruit in our lives, just in our overall becoming more like Christ, but also then being able to point people to us. And Jesus is like, yeah, you know, we're going to bless you in that sense, and people are going to come to us with questions, and we're going to be able to give them an answer. Jesus changes up the illustrations as he's the cornerstone. He's not just the cornerstone of the church in the sense of people who have come to faith in Christ are part of the church, but he's the cornerstone for how we're going to build our lives. He's, he's the one that's level and plumb and ready to go, and then we build our lives based off of him, the blueprint, which is the Bible. We look at the blueprints and say, okay, God, how do you want me to do life? What am I supposed to do? And, and then some of the things, I'm kind of scared about doing that. I'm not really sure I want to do that. But then God, the Holy Spirit, gives us the strength to do it. And then we begin to see God work in our lives. So Christians, don't reject the messenger of God's word or those who are teaching God's word accurately. Don't reject it. Don't think you know better than God. Because God's going to allow us to experience the consequences of those decisions. He's going to discipline us. That's majority of the time, that's how he disciplines us, letting us experience what life is like when we think we know better than him as to what we need to do. That's why our lives are in turmoil. That's why we are going through difficult times. That's why we struggle the way we do. You know, it's, it's in those times he's trying to draw us back to him. There's something in our lives that's not right, and he wants us to turn it back to him and grow through it. And then for non-Christians, those that have not placed their faith in Christ, um, this is where I share bad news, but you've got to know the bad news so you know what the good news is, right? So the gospel is good news. Well, there's good news because of the bad news. And the bad news is this, those who reject Christ will be judged. And what he's saying there by that is, we have all sinned. We've disobeyed God. He's the one who said, this is how you're supposed to do life. And so if you reject Christ, if you reject his offer of forgiveness for your sin and of a relationship established with him, then you will pay the consequences. You will experience the judgment that God has. See, God's a good judge. And a good judge always sentences those who have committed crimes, who have disobeyed the law. We have all disobeyed God's laws. We all stand before him guilty. The evidence is in. Some of us have allowed Christ to stand in front of us and take our judgment. Some, maybe even some this morning, have never allowed that to happen. See, God is not only a good judge, but he's merciful, he's gracious, he's patient, he's the one who's created you, he's the one who loves you to the point that he gave up his life for you. He's provided you a way out of an eternity in hell. 
See, Jesus, when he went to the cross, he didn't fail his mission. Islam would teach that Jesus came from Allah, but then he failed his mission, so Muhammad had to come. No, Jesus didn't fail anything. This was the plan since the beginning of the foundations of the world that Jesus Christ, God the Son, would come and die on behalf of mankind. He succeeded. He took God's wrath for you and me. His judgment. So the challenge for you is don't be like the religious leaders who have rejected those that God has sent to them to get their lives back in order to experience his forgiveness in this relationship. So every week we end with takeaways. And so the takeaways are pretty obvious from that challenge. The first one is if you're here this morning and you've never prayed to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. Now, if you have prayed that prayer in the past, I, I, I feel like I need to do this from time to time. If you've prayed that prayer in the past and you were genuinely, yes, I want God to forgive me of my sins. You have God and Holy Spirit in your life. Your sins have been forgiven. And God's Holy Spirit is with you. You are a child of God. And when you die, you'll spend eternity in heaven. Now, you may be one who's being disciplined by God because you haven't quite got things lined up that makes sense. But this, if you've never prayed this, or maybe you did pray in the past, and you're kind of like, yeah, I'm not really sure. Then the, the takeaway for you is don't reject Jesus Christ. He put his life on the line for you. And it was his plan always to do that. And he died on the cross. He took God's wrath for you. And then he rose from the dead. He defeated sin, its power in your life, and its consequences eternity in hell. He defeated that, so you have eternity in heaven. And it's just simply saying, having a conversation with him, and saying, God, I know I'm a sinner, and now I realize that I'm separated from you, and that you have the right to judge me. But I believe, the B is believe, it's, it's to entrust your spiritual and physical life, your well-being into the hands of God. I'm trusting you when you say that Jesus died on the cross for me. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I'm trusting in Christ, in Christ alone. Last week I prayed a prayer and 11 people indicated that they prayed to accept Christ. I'm not going to do that today. Um, but here's what I'd like to just challenge you. If that's what's on your heart, if you're like, yeah, I need to do that, then do it. Just right here, right now. Your heart to God's heart. Just have a conversation with them. We call it prayer, but it's just a conversation with God. And then if you would, if you'd let me know, I would love to know about it. You, can, you don't have to do that part, but... But if you would, it'd be great. Just fill out a connect card, and on the back, I think there's a spot where you can check, I trusted in Christ today, or just put it in the comment section, I accepted Christ today. And if you want me to contact you, I'll do that. We've got some information we can even send you, and I can go through it with you. And then, Christians, challenge for, for you and me is that we don't reject Jesus. In the sense that we don't say, God, I know what you're telling me to do, and I don't want to do what you're telling me to do. We reject Jesus. There will be discipline in that because God's a good father and he disciplines those he loves. And he loves us. He died for us. I get it. It's not easy. I get it. That it can be difficult. I 100% get it. But you have God's word. You have God's Holy Spirit. You have God's family around you to help you. Find out what it is that God wants you to do, how God wants you to do it. And then take that step of faith and trust him. You're trusting him for your salvation. Trust him for your life here and the daily decisions that you need to make. Let's go ahead and stand and we'll close in prayer.